they're out again. Maury and Tim escape from the radio. And now, those two guys. Maury Eskenazi and Tim Hunter. And this week we have a very special edition of the Maury and Tim Escape from the Radio podcast. Because if you've been listening to this podcast for a few episodes, you may have heard me ask Maury, who is the number one person you'd like to chat with, to interview? And he blurted out a name, Seattle radio legend Burl Bear. And I thought, oh, there, there's a challenge. So I got on Facebook, did some hunting around, found him, sent him a note, he shot back a phone number, and we are hopefully about to talk to Burl Bear, Seattle DJ extraordinaire, and now a true crime author. Please enjoy this Verizon ringback tone while your party is reached. This moment is brought to you by New Softer Charmin. The Two Wipe TP. Hello. Mr. Bear. Yeah, sorry about that. I was in the other room when you called. No, that's, I'm just, we're just so thrilled to be able to chat with you. It is me, Tim Hunter, and uh, my buddy, Maury Eskenazi, because we were talking a couple of weeks ago about the person we'd like to interview most. And, you know, I, whatever, we rattled some names off. He, his first go-to guy was you. I got to tell you, I got to <laughs> tell you, ma'am, that um, I have goosebumps right now just talking to you because because oh, yeah. growing up. This is like the Charmin commercials where the bears are. I know. <laughs> I'm trying not to be like a giant fanboy, but dude, in this growing up in the night in the 70s, everybody was KJR, KJR, and I was Boss Jock, Burl Bear, KOL. That was his thing. And and the only reason I'm in I'm the only reason I'm in radio right now is because of you. Because of you. Oh no, that makes you feel horribly guilty. No, I know. Yeah, you <laughs> How should. How could you do this because to I had this a, poor man? I had a good career and then I decided to get into radio. <laughs> and, then, and then you go into radio. That's when the chest pain started. But uh <laughs> what what a time to go into radio. I know, right? But you uh I, I'm gonna I'm gonna say this. You you shaped me as a uh, as a human being in the 1970s, because you were. Well, I hope I, you were a decent human being. I am a very decent human being, <laughs> He's especially not bad. especially now that cannabis is legal for God's <laughs> sakes. Yeah. But to make it even better, full circle, I come home one day and my wife goes, "Look at this! Look what I'm reading." She reads all your books. Oh, bless her heart! Yeah. So what she, was she reading? She buys remember? them. I can't remember. No, I'm an old <laughs> man. I can't remember stuff like that. But. Um, but she reads all your books, and uh, I'm telling you, it's a it's a thrill just to talk to you right now. Well, so I'll start talking to myself and see if I get some of the same thrill. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, you know, I went on to Wikipedia. I cheated because I remember you. I came up from Southern California in the 70s, and at mm-hmm. that point you were a revered name in radio, and that's where my career was heading. But I went on Wikipedia to read about you, and holy Toledo, I mean, the radio was a big deal in the 70s, but that was a blip in your career. More like a blimp than a blip. Because <laughs> uh, I started in radio when I was 15 years old. Oh, wow. I was at uh, KTEL, 250 watt station, Walla Walla, Washington. I got hair dryers with more power than that. <laughs> uh, I'd ride out there on my bicycle, where my folks would bring me dinner out there, where, you know, sometimes you get stuck working a 13 hour shift. Wow. It was always exciting. And it was. Uh, what they called uh, block programming, strip programming. What's the difference? Uh, you know, like one hour would be country western music, one hour would be classical, one hour would be 
something else. Yeah, I was at a station in Yakima. I did the same thing because we played adult music during the day and the kid music at night. So, bro, how did you end up in the Seattle area? I went directly from KTEL and Walla Walla to uh, KJR. <laughs> wow. Wow. I pulled a fast one. Uh, you want to hear the real story? Yes. I got a job babysitting the transmitter at KYAC, a daytime or soul radio station broadcasting out of Kirkland, Washington. Yep. Uh, and then I got George Garrett, whose real name is George Ure, but George Garrett, newsman at KOL eventually. <laughs> uh, he also was babysitting the transmitter at KYAC. We were being paid $4.50 an hour, I think. It was wow. a lot of money for me then, uh-huh. going to the University of Washington. Uh, Paul Cutchlow was doing uh, uh, the afternoon show or the morning show. One of the two. No, I guess he's doing afternoon because Brother Bob Summarize is doing mornings. And uh, he had this bad habit of swearing at the card machines. <laughs> Didn't and, we all? Uh, <laughs> well, we all. But he would do it with a microphone on. Oh, geez. Not good. That's not good. And oh. all of a sudden, he got fired mid-shift, and I was on the air. Wow. Uh, and... Uh, I became popular, much to my surprise. <laughs> uh, uh, Burl Bear, Prince of Darkness. I'm getting goosebumps uh, just hearing you say that. Burl Bear, Prince of Darkness, about 1490 KYAC, <laughs> radio. Wow. And we did a uh, uh, a comedy bit that pre-recorded Alan Goldblatt and I called The Adventures of Thomas Jefferson and Alexander Hamilton. Thomas Jefferson, uncle of his country, hence Uncle Tom, and uh, <laughs> starcraving financial wizard Alexander Hamilton. And uh, that became kind of popular, amazingly enough. And uh, minding my own business, and um, I used to drive out to KJR to see uh, Jim Martin. Mm-hmm. Uh, big Jim. Big, big Jim Martin. Yep. Midnight to six. Mm-hmm. With a bottle of hard liquor in one hand and yep. amphetamines in the other. <laughs> That's our Jim. Uh, that was the secret of uh, good broadcasting uh, for <laughs> Big Jim. Wow. It was a, uh, I mean, he, he suffered from this real problem is he always wanted to be a gangster, but he just couldn't do it. Just did, He had too much heart. In any event, I went out to the radio station to see uh, Big Jim, and I should have been in bed because I'd been up studying for finals. And uh, I get there, and he's not there. He's uh, on vacation, and he's gone. Jerry Kay is on the phone trying to reach Chuck somebody or other who would come in from Ocean Shores or wherever the hell he lived. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, do the show. He could. He got hold of him. He says, "I'm not coming all the way in there to fill for Big Jim. No one told me about this." And I'm just kind of looking at the pictures on the wall and thinking, "I got to go home." <laughs> and Jerry K says, "Hey, Burl, you watched Jim run the board before, haven't you?" Says, yeah. Says, you got a first phone license, don't you? Says, yeah. Says, well, you better get in there. Your first record's ending. Wow. And that's how I got on KJR. Oh, that's a and, great story. Uh, Jerry K. lied to Pat O'Day and told him that, uh, yeah, I was able to call my friend Burl Bear at home, and he rushed right out here and saved our butt, uh, filled in for Big Jim, and so Pat O'Day called me <laughs> the next day, <laughs> Burl reminds me of Barry Gordy Jr., bending Diana Ross over a urinal at an association just outside of Detroit. You're right, Pat. And you do it every day for the next two weeks. And I said, yeah. So I did. And then they asked me if i do it every Saturday. And then Father Duffy, (laughs) 
which was Buona Johnny, but they called him Father Duffy, got hit by a train on the way to KJR. Oh, my gosh. That's a miracle he lived. And anyway, uh, I had just taken the risk of going out and taking every last cent I had and putting it down on an apartment in Mercer Island, hoping that I'd have a job by the time the what I paid for in advance ran out. Well, I got home, and the phone's ringing, and it was Pat O'Day. Pat said, this is honest to God, his real words. <laughs> Burl, haven't you always dreamed of being full-time at KJR? Wow. I said, yeah. <laughs> and I was hired right then, full-time KJR. And mornings at KYAC. And it's midnight at Cairo. I was working at three radio stations wow. at the same time, using the same name, and going to the University of Washington. Problem was the overlap. If you're working 8 to midnight at Cairo and midnight to 6 at KJR, you have to leave 20 minutes early to get there. At midnight to 6 at KJR, I had to leave early to get to Kirkland to do my 6 in the morning to 10 in the morning show at KYAC and then make it to the University of Washington for my class that was taught by Jim French of Cairo. Oh, you're kidding. On how to crunch cornflakes so it sounds like you're walking in snow when you're on the radio. <laughs> oh, to be young and be able to pull that off. Yeah, there's lots of things I could pull off when I was young that don't even work anymore. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, you uh, you reigned in Seattle for a, how many years? What, about eight, ten? I got to Seattle in 1965. Mm-hmm. Pat O'Day hired me to uh, play the hits at a uh, nightclub in Seattle. It became quite a phenomenon. It's called the Trolley Club. And uh, all the big stars, they finish playing at the Coliseum. They come down and play for nothing. This little club. Oh, my gosh. Which is really cool. You know, fudge, birds, you know, name them, name them and claim them. They played there. And then bands would come and rehearse there before their big gig or before their tour. So Golden Earring would play there for two weeks to prepare for their show at the Fillmore. Wow. Rehearse. So that was great fun. Lots of groupies. I had groupies in those days. <laughs> That's back when radio people had groupies, mm-hmm. you know, and which means, of course, I had several bouts of venereal disease. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least those of you who aren't old enough to remember, that was the 11th floor of the public safety building in Seattle, and that's where the venereal disease clinic was. You get your free shots. They say, Burl, do you know this could give me a girl's name? And I said, yeah, that's where I got this. And he says, you're the... Seventh person this week to come in uh, as a result of her. Whoa. And uh, uh, if she doesn't come in and get treated, we're going to have her arrested as a public health hazard. Jeez. So I left the clinic and I went to where she lived, 510 Ward Street. <laughs> She's not there anymore. <laughs> and it was a large mansion-like home that had been converted to where you could rent individual rooms. Well, she rented a room there and I knocked on the door, and she's in there with a guy, and her roommate, female, is also in there with a guy. So you got two couples in there, right? Mm-hmm. And I said, hey, so-and-so, I just got back from the uh, VD clinic, and I got good news for you. If you don't get down there right away, they're going to come arrest you. And then you hear this guy go, oh, no. Oh, <laughs> he says, if you have it, I have it. Then you hear this other girl say, well, if you've got it, I've got it. And then the second guy says, in that case, we all have it. Oh and they gosh. all four of them got up and uh, went down to the public health clinic. So I did my good deed for the day. You basically saved it. Seattle. Yeah, I, I saved <laughs> Seattle from an epidemic. <laughs>
Oh my gosh. I love these I stories. Got some sort of an award for that. Yeah. Maybe we can get it well, then, uh, delayed. And then I got a phone call from Dick Curtis. This is really weird. I got a phone call from two radio stations the same day that I was delirious with fever, with the flu. So ill, I was staying at my Aunt Sylvia's house in Seattle so she could take care of me. And she went out to get groceries. I got two phone calls, one from Dick Curtis at KOL and one from Danny Holiday at KSND. Or K-U-U-U, whatever they want to calling it. Where right. did all the good songs go was her slogan. All these was played songs you didn't want to hear from the late 50s. <laughs> uh, I got a call from Curtis, right? Uh-huh. And I was delirious with the flu, and I just said, I've already got a job, and hung up on him. Oh, jeez. When I came to my senses, <laughs> he got over the flu, I called Curtis and said, you know, hi, I'm Pearl, blah, blah, blah. I went to the radio station, checked it out. And he offered me a job. Now, I didn't know what to do. This is a great story here, ladies and gentlemen. Make us sure you record this one. I call Pat O'Day, okay. who's you know general manager by this time and program director of KJR, where I'm working. And his best friend is Dick Curtis, who is program director at KOL. There's a whole story about how that happened, but I'll let Pat tell you that one. In any event, mm-hmm. I call Pat. I say, Pat, I got a quandary here. I said, Dick uh, Curtis just offered me a gig at uh, KOL. Tell you why I say that. And uh, <laughs> he says, Burl, what you've got to consider is what station offers you the greatest chance of advancement, career advancement, blah, 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 blah. And I said, Thank you, Pat. You helped me make one of the most important decisions of my career. I'm going to KOL. <laughs> Not the answer he, said, he was expecting. Yeah, he goes, Oh, well, why is that? And I said, Because of what you just said. I have never seen a weekend DJ in the history of your radio station, go from weekends to full-time. You bring him in from KJRB, formerly KNEW, Spokane. Right. I said, so obviously if I stay there, I'm not going full-time. So I'm going to KOL. Pat liked that, I think. Because if you turn Pat down, you own him. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Uh, And so I knew I always had a job uh, waiting for me with Pat, which I did and probably still do. And sure enough, uh, when uh, KOL got strange, uh, and the reason I would go, KOL, KOL, is because we had a program director after Curtis, general manager, every time you were supposed to say the call letters, you were supposed to stop and go, K-O-L, <laughs> and then go back to your regular speech pattern. Well, I thought that was the stupidest damn thing I ever heard on the Stupid. Air. <laughs> and and uh, when he was gone, when they dropped, kicked him, the first thing I did is I went on the air and I said, this is KOL. KOL. <laughs> that didn't save me at JR. Anyway, that Pat guy, you know, took me back to KJR and went back there and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, we all lived happily ever after. So, uh, <laughs> actually, I started in Seattle Radio in 1965, 66. Mm-hmm. Probably 66 is right after the Christmas holidays. And I was on KJR by 67, KOL by April of 1968, 1971. I was at the KQIN in Burien with Robin Sherwood. And then the 1971, as I mentioned, went uh, left KOL, KQIN, back to KJR. Then in 70-something uh, or other, I was doing, I had a uh, production company with Tim McManus, and then with Alan Goldblatt, uh, producing concert commercials for Concerts West, John Bauer Concert Company, Gary mm-hmm. uh, see from Las Vegas, et cetera, et cetera. Did all that, uh, worked at uh, Pat O'Day's uh, 
a radio station, KYYX. Oh, yeah. Whereas he would turn it when he'd get a little loop, KYX. He forgets to say the Y. <laughs> why, I don't know. I got one of them. <laughs> so then I, w- I left and uh, went to uh, Walla Walla, Washington to help my dad out uh, in his business there. He needed me. But I would be flown back by Pat on the weekends on, on Saturday morning wow. or Friday night and record a week's worth of shows at KYYX and KXA, re-record them. Uh, you know, you just do your voice tracks, you wouldn't hear the music, and then I'd fly back. My dad didn't know I was doing that until one day the, the airport got fogged and I couldn't make it to work. <laughs> oh, wow. Then he found Yeah, I used to fly up there, do a week's worth of shows for KYYX and KXA, pick up some uh, uh, sushi from Nico's uh, to take home to my wife from all off. Hmm. And uh, I'd be home by like 10 o'clock at night, as a rule. Uh, and then I came back to Seattle in 1998, 99, something like that. And I uh, can't remember why. <laughs> I can't remember. And next thing I know, I'm in L.A. And I'm uh, on outlawradiolive.com. Uh, every Saturday at uh, 2 o'clock, I uh, do True Crime Uncensored. Uh, which is one of the strangest true crime shows in America, and longest running. Over 11 years now I've been doing that show. Yeah, you were uh, radio for all those years, and then you turned to crime, but not actually committing well, yeah, not it, but writing it about so it. So much as documenting it, yeah. <laughs> I was minding my own business when I got a phone call in Walla Walla from, uh, of all people, the famous bass player, Seattle, and wants to know if I'd be interested in the uh, true crime story. Uh, that Ann Rule was passing on, but somehow my name came up or whatever. Anyway, uh, I wrote uh, Man Overboard, The Counterfeit Resurrection of Phil Champagne, mm-hmm. which is my first true crime book, and uh, nominated, was nominated Best True Crime Book of the Year at the World Mystery Convention. Didn't win. Uh, Ann Rule's book, I think, did. Yes, it did. We were both nominated, and what was really weird is that my family was in her book, Dead by Sunset, because the victim worked for the law firm of Garvey, Schubert, and Bearer, which is my brother's law firm. Oh, wow. And Phil Champagne, the main character in my true crime book, his daughter and Anne's daughter were best friends. So that started my career in true crime. I won the Edgar Award for The Saint of Complete History in Print, Radio, Television, and Film. That's a showbiz book. So there. And you've been uh, living this life for a while now. Again, I read on, on Wikipedia a whole bunch of stuff about you. Uh, one that you actually had a a relative who wrote the Mighty Mouse theme song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't I don't know him personally. I just know that here he comes to save the day. Right. <laughs> that's amazing. That's that's a great connection. That yeah, is Marshall Marshall yeah. Bear. Huh. So looking back on your radio career, and if someone thinking about getting into radio. Now, um, I'd say forget it. Go get a real job. Well, but they were telling us that when we got in. Yeah, well, they could see the writing on the wall. <laughs> I got. I got to tell you too. Well, talking radio, I went over to Yakima after I got out of the University of Washington, and um, oh, okay. one of my first jobs it was at a little daytimer KQOT. Uh, such that during the winter months there were only two disc jockeys, and then in the summer there were only two disc jockeys. But you know oh. it was shutting off at nine o'clock at night, so the morning guy would work six to one, and then I'd come on and work one to nine. Now, how much per hour do I oh, have for you? Was that? I'll I'll tell you. I graduated after four years at the University of Washington, and I started at three fifty a month. 
350 no, no, month, $350. <laughs> and if I worked out, I got it bumped to 375 But the, oh, mor- God, the morning guy, the morning guy there, his landlord was Jerry Kay. Oh, slumlord, Jerry Kay. He went over to uh, help his dad with his biz or something like that. Right. Furniture, yeah. I think. And yeah. uh, so I did get to meet Jerry a couple of times. And he was a great guy. He was. Guy. Yeah. The ending of. KSA, <laughs> old gold 77 turned to God. When times got tough, became old God 77 KSA. I could have owned that radio station. Actually, my cousin Mike could have owned that station. I'll tell you why. Uh-huh. He's Jewish. And it became a Christian radio station. Mm-hmm. And they called him in, and they fired him because he was a Jew. Whoa. And had I known that, had we taken legal action, it's a violation of federal law. You can't fire someone because of their religion running a Christian radio station. The right. guy's already working there, and he's not Christian, so you fire him. If that happened nowadays, they would have been oh. sent to some island in the middle of nowhere <laughs> or something like that. Oh, well, the thing is that no one did anything. This wasn't that long ago. Right. Oh, no. Huh. And if I would have known, if Mike would have the presence of mind to say, uh, the Cousin Burl, uh, man, we would have, we'd own the FCC by now. <laughs> Well, Burl, it has been a definite honor being able to reconnect with you and, and hear these great stories. You must have a radio book out somewhere. No, no, no. I think I'm in a few books. Yeah, I'm but, sure uh, you are. No, actually, what I've been writing, and it's going to be a three-book, uh, that's why a trilogy, that's why they call them trilogies of the three books. <laughs> American Panther uh, series, first was called Stealing Manhattan. And it's a story that nobody knows unless they listen to my radio show because I've had some character on is the world's greatest gentleman thief and the second greatest gentleman thief who stole actually billions of diamonds and diamonds, precious gems and gold from the Diamond District of New York. The father, Mr. Stan, never captured, never prosecuted, never a day in prison. He got away with everything. Wow. Greatest diamond thief. For the Pink Panthers over in Europe, all their techniques, all their methods, all their madness, except for using guns, it all didn't start in Europe. It started in Manhattan. They were trained by my buddy, who was the son of the world's greatest diamond thief. And he became the world's second greatest diamond thief to make his father proud of it. (laughs) Jeez. It's a family tradition. Seems like pressure. of course, those stories are incredible because, well, while the son got caught by accident, <laughs> more or less, and wound up spending some prison time, his dad never was caught. And his dad had five offices in the Diamond District, and every night they're going out and robbing uh, these uh, manufacturing firms in the Diamond District. They had ten firms, each insured for $100 million each, and they hit all ten. Bam, 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 bam. Wow. Billion dollars retail. Now you and, have a friend uh, in you the know diamond what? business. Everyone was in on it. <laughs> wow. The security firms were in on it. The safe manufacturing company who taught them how to open all the safes was in on it. And the people who got robbed were thrilled because they get full retail value within oh, sure. two weeks. You can't even sell your inventory in two years, alone two weeks. So everyone was happy. <laughs> Jeez. And uh, 
uh, the first book in the series, Stealing Manhattan, comes out. Uh, actually, it'll be out 2020. Okay. And it looks like there'll be a movie and TV series and all that stuff. Awesome. So, uh, That's awesome. It'll be cool. Well, people want to follow you or you know hear about your latest writings and the books that are coming up, they can go to burlbear.net, correct? That's true. And also, I have an article today. Oh. Really today about a current murder case in L.A. that I have the inside track on because I'm the true crime writer that criminals talk to. Why that is, uh, that's a good question. A Secret Service agent wrote a letter of introduction where he says people will talk to Burl Bear, people who won't talk to attorneys, who won't talk to the cops, who won't talk to their own attorneys, will tell Burl Bear everything. And for some reason, that's true. Uh, so I have an article today about this woman who has been arrested. She's currently held on $2 million bail for murdering her stepfather. And Brobear says she didn't murder her stepfather, but I'll tell you who allegedly did, and I'll tell you where she was when the murder was taking place. And uh, that's today at a website called thisistruecrime.com. Awesome. We will go there. It's the top two crime writers in America, uh, and each day or each couple weeks, whatever it is, we all take turns writing articles for it. So you got uh, the top people. Oh, good to know. You're into true crime. Your wife will love it. I know, I know. She will. I just wrote down. He the just thing. wrote it down. A I just wrote it down ago, for so. you. As as we take off, I just want to once again um, thank you. It's it, this is. I know this is going to sound insane to you, but this is a bucket list thing for me to meet and talk to Burl Bear. <laughs> you can die now. You've talked to the legendary Burl Bear. I know, I know. It's just, just hearing you say the legendary Burl Bear, I have tears coming out of my eyes right now. That's oh, yeah, how, the greatest on record born to rock and that roll. Is such rock to the cradle of the rhythm and blues. So awesome, man. K-O-L. Thank you so much. K-O-L. 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 I used to do that all the time. By the way, you do a great Pat O'Day. Totally. In fact, I impersonated Pat O'Day. We had to do a radio promo spot for the KJR Class of 75 reunion. Uh-huh. Pat wasn't there, so I did Pat's voice. For the- oh, that's <laughs> hilarious. It was Pat O'Day. <laughs> so he would, he, would, the, uh, he would just come on and he would do this. And I would say this all the time. Boss Jock, Burl Bear, KOL. <laughs> and then music would play. It was so fantastic. So. So I was in the hospital at Everett last month. Oh. That was exciting. I came up to go to the, uh, uh, can you say, Old Parts Club? Uh, the Dick Curtis Paddle Day. Yeah. Everybody, we all have lunch once a year. And I came up for that. And I was staying in Marysville with my son. And I had a ride to the luncheon and everything. Except the night before, I had a chicken fried steak with country gravy. Which sounds wonderful, except I just got out of the hospital having a quadruple open heart surgery bypass Oops. and a heart valve, and that's too much salt for someone who just uh, had a, uh, their heart re- rewired. My heart couldn't handle all the salt, and I wound up in uh, Providence Hospital in Everett instead of at the lunch with Pat and Dick and all oh. those guys. So two days later, I was out and went fishing with my brother at Loon Lake, and, uh, but so I was in, there, in Everett. I was offered a job at KRKO once. I turned down. I think that but, offer uh, still stands if you're willing. Yeah, if I want to make four hundred dollars a month. Oh, it's not that high. <laughs> not that high. The <laughs> transmitter is still out there in the uh, God the God Forsaken and the uh, mud pit out there somewhere. Didn't they? They it's moved it out Snoh- there. No, right? it's in Snohomish somewhere. Yeah. In Snohomish somewhere, yeah. yeah. It's not on a Lowell. Yeah. Was it on Lowell Road? Yeah, it was Lowell Road yeah. years ago, but they, I think right. they did relocate it. Yeah. So.
Yeah, we're on the 14th floor of the Key Bank building. Really? So, yeah. yeah. But that's well, we could rob the place from there. <laughs> we, we have a, our... I could bring in my buddy. He could tell you how to rob the bank. Perfect. All right. Perfect. We're, we're in. We're in. We're totally in. <laughs> well, Burl Bear, thank you very thank much for joining so much, us. Man. We really appreciate it. It's my this. pleasure. You're the man. Uh, to be on anybody's radio station at any time. Thank you, Mr. Bear. Appreciate it. You're welcome. Have a great day. All right. Take care. You've just listened to Morty and Tim Escape from the Radio with Maury Eskenazi and Tim Hunter, a WackyWeek.com production. No insects were injured in the making of this program. Well, maybe one. If you enjoyed this podcast, please like us. If you didn't, please send it to someone that annoys you.